So again, like to welcome everybody, a really warm welcome, warm welcome, wherever you are, whomever you are, welcome. So we'll start with just sitting for a few minutes. I see that some of you were already sitting, but we'll sit just for a few minutes to help us get settled.
So if we were physically at IRC, we would now, we would have transitioned from the social hall into the meditation hall. And the meditation hall is, um, for those of you who have been there, you know, it's, um, you know, it feels kind of special. It's, uh, the acoustics are really nice and it's spacious and lots of windows. So I invite you to imagine that we've all entered the meditation hall now with a certain amount of sense of arriving, sense of here we are on this journey or this adventure. And so I said a warm welcome to everybody and I'd like to extend that again, anybody who came late. And just a reminder that what a support it can be to come here and to our Zoom Zendo in some kind of way, this, uh, this space, this virtual space that we're creating together. So those of you in different time zones, um, it can be really helpful for the night owls here on the west side of the continent. It can be really helpful to see some other people that maybe are on the east side of the continent at a later time of the day. So just an encouragement to meditate here. And if you um, feel comfortable doing so, also to have the camera on. And... And then I think one thing that um, we forgot to mention earlier is that the Dharma talks and the uh, practice discussion, um, not that, sorry, not the practice discussions, but the instructions, they will be recorded and they will be uploaded, like usually within 30 minutes or so, you, you know, around there. So that um, if you miss something, that um, you'll have access to it later. And just to clarify, practice discussions are not recorded. And maybe before we kind of like go into some of the formal like beginning of the retreat, we'll open it up and see, does anybody have a question that they feel like would be helpful to get answered before they can settle in to the retreat? If you, if you do, if you could raise your hands and then um, a manager can help and mute you. Is there something you feel like would be helpful for you to get clarified? Okay. Okay. Great. So with that, uh, I'll pass it on to uh, Ines. Um, first, I changed computers, so please give me a thumbs up if you can hear me okay. Great, thank you. <clears throat> the theme of this retreat is balance and stability. And though we often give themes to retreats, they're all essentially about the same thing. The Buddha said he taught one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. Though the word he used, um, the word that's used in the texts 
for uh, dukkha, which is often translated as suffering. It actually encompasses the entire range of all the unpleasant, unwanted, unsatisfactory experiences we can have. From the deep mental and physical anguish, which is easy to call suffering, to the less intense feelings such as frustration, irritation, boredom, feelings of unease. The word dukkha comes from a time when people rode in ox-drawn vehicles. Um, and the word, the Sanskrit word actually means a poorly fitting axle in a wheel. So if the center of the wheel isn't just right, the ride is bumpy and uncomfortable. So it can be described as a wheel out of balance or uncentered. So the practice of mindfulness is simple. To pay clear attention to what's here, right now, in this body and mind, regardless of what it is, with a clear non-reactive awareness. When we do that, we are balanced and centered. No matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're experiencing, if we pay attention to what's here, regardless what it is, and we don't react to it, we just really pay attention to it, then we're balanced, we're here. The challenge is that we complicate the simplicity with wanting things to be other than they are. Either we want something that's not here, or we want something that's here to go away. So some version of things should be different than they are. And whenever we do that, we lose our balance. We lose our connection with the present. We find ourselves lost in strategizing, fantasizing, planning, remembering, manipulating our experience. Like very likely, even those little five minutes we had of sitting, the mind likely went somewhere, somewhere in the past, the future. If we imagine we're working on a tightrope, <clears throat> excuse me, If we imagine we're walking on a tightrope, we find that keeping our balance requires a really careful attention with many moments of losing our balance, a little to the right, a little to the left, and we keep correcting ourselves. In a similar way, keeping a balanced mind requires a similar careful attention to many, many moments of losing our balance in thoughts of the future or thoughts of the past or resisting what's here. It takes the same kind of care of attention of the tightrope walker, that kind of presence. You stop paying attention, you fall off. You lose your balance. And on retreat, especially at first, when we first start settling in, it takes more effort to keep coming back to the present, to balance. 
as the mind gets more and more settled, the feeling of well-being of a balanced, stable mind becomes much more attractive than chasing what we want or don't want. And so not so much effort is needed anymore. It can be very useful to learn from our past, to learn from, to plan the future, but we can do so in the present, in our bodies, in the now. If we're worrying about a meeting tomorrow, we're worried now, in this moment, in this body, now. If we're planning tomorrow's day, tomorrow's meditation, we're planning it now, in this moment. And by being mindful that in this moment we're planning, that's the whole practice. You're seeing what's here right now. The mind can only do one thing at a time. When we're mindful of worry, we're no longer worrying for that moment. And mindfulness of worry already begins to transform the worry. Regardless of what shows up in our minds, by being mindful of the body, of our emotions, of our thoughts, we ground ourselves in the present. We can come to balance. But it's a constantly shifting balance with mindfulness at the center. Essential to developing stability is embracing instability, embracing imperfection, not because we're settling for something less, but because it's the nature of life. If we're hungry, we may eat a big meal, maybe some of you just did that, and we feel sated, but soon enough we want something else. Maybe we want to sleep, we want to be entertained, or need medicine, If we weed the garden, soon enough it's full of weeds again. Maybe we think we have everything we finally want in our lives, and now we're aging, losing our vision, our hearing, our abilities. There's no being complete with the conditions of life. There's no conditions that will ever last that will make everything perfect. So resisting change, resisting imperfection, only leads to unneeded dukkha, unneeded suffering. Some of you may be familiar with the Tibetan ritual of creating a sand mandala. Uh, Maybe you've seen one being done or you've seen pictures of it. Um, A group of monks uh, create a beautiful, intricate, colorful mandala out of sand, somewhere between like 6 and 12 square feet. And they spend weeks all day mindfully attending to each intricate details. It's like some of them have like 700 deities, you know, little beings in that sand in absolute detail. And when it's finished, they dismantle it, mix it in water, and give the sand back to the earth. 
beautifully representing the deep understanding of impermanence. We can appreciate the complexity, the intricacy of our constantly changing conditions. And at the same time, we can value and nurture the simplicity of being present, present and balanced in a simple, uncomplicated way. Being here just like it is right now, not how we may want it to be. And just like that, we can come to balance in this body right now, in this breath, this moment. So thank you. Thank you, Inez. Lovely. So it's the tradition to begin a retreat with going for refuge, something that we do together. And for millennia, Buddhists have been going to refuge. And I'll say for me, it's quite meaningful to feel this connection for countless individuals, thousands of years, people are, have been going for refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, as we are about to do. So this living connection to so many other people before us. And maybe there's even other people on this planet who are doing the same activity that we are. So in this way, it becomes our community becomes even bigger, even more practitioners. Part of the value or part of the reason why we go for a refuge at the beginning of a retreat is it's, this, uh, it's, a, it's a part of a ritual, this symbolic activity in which we are making this transition from our daily life to our retreat life. We're going to start being on retreat now. And it's also a way in which we can join us together as a community, something that we'll do together. And sometimes um, even people, when they have situations that make them a little bit unsure or have a little bit uh, um, not so comfortable with, Sometimes people take a comfort in some of these preparatory activities, this um, reducing of uncertainty and kind of joining in with others. So there's lots of reasons why we might be taking refuge. And then I'll just say a little bit about what refuge as a, can imagine it as a, um, a protective enclosure. I like to imagine it as a, a refuge as a sheltering under a large ancient tree. This tree that has deep roots and a wide trunk and a wide canopy and the branches are reaching out and around and we're underneath the branches. So it's creating this sheltering space and yet we're not like cut off from the rest of the world. We're not um, excluded from the rest of the world. 
And this tree being an ancient tree has seen so much of the comings and goings of life over the years. So it's uh, able to hold things with uh, and hold steady and balance with whatever might be arising. Sheltering under this tree means that when it's raining, we might still get wet. It doesn't protect us from, you know, not experiencing things. But it's a way in which we'll get not, maybe not as wet and we can work with it. So going for refuge is this also, is also an orientation in which we're turning now towards retreat. And so... We take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. There's a number of different ways we can interpret these. And it's like we could, um, Inez and I could do whole retreats on just the Buddha or the Dharma or the Sangha. But I'll offer something here that's meaningful for me, and maybe you'll find something meaningful too. The Buddha, taking refuge in the Buddha, can consider this as to take refuge in what is possible. It is possible to have a profound, radical degree of inner freedom and peace. And the Buddha represents this for us. And shortly after the Buddha's awakening, the story is that um, somebody um, asked him, like, you, you, you seem a little different. Who are you? And he said, I am the awakened one. I'm awakened. So in some ways, we could consider going for refuge is going for refuge and being awake to what's actually happening in this moment. Going for refuge in awareness. That's one way we can interpret going for refuge in the Buddha. The Dharma or the teachings and the practices offered by the Buddha. And I like that this, uh, the word Dharma uh, is derived from the word dur, which actually means to hold or to support. So in some ways we can be held and be supported by the teachings and the truths that the the teachings point to, and the Sangha. The Sangha represents the community of other practitioners who support us and can also serve as exemplars for us. And the support can be obvious or subtle. It is comforting to know that we're not the only ones on this path. We're not the only ones who have chosen to spend these days together meditating. We're not the only one who feel inspired by these possibilities. And maybe I'll say also that the Sangha is also the field that receives our, when we express some of these beautiful inner qualities. Practicing together, often generosity, kindness, and compassion, whether it's um, uh, literally expressed by things that we do or um, thoughts or ideas or sentiments we have in our mind. Also, the Sangha is often the recipient of these from us. So taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha as part of the ritual and starting of retreat. 
So we'll chant these, we'll chant them in Pali, that is the language that the ancient scriptures are preserved in, as a way to kind of have this connection with all these countless individuals, including way back to the time of the Buddha. And we'll do this in call and response. I'll do a call and Stan will do the response. And you're invited to um, do the response with Stan, or even if you know it, you can do it twice. You can do it with me and with Stan. I will share screen and I'll show the words that are in Pali. They're written pretty much how they sound um, as well as the English translation underneath them. So let's see here. I just have to get a little bit, here we go. Can I get a thumbs up from you, Inez? Cause I can see you, Inez. Can you see this? Uh, but yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. So we'll start uh, three times by saying this Namo Tassa, which is homage to the Buddha. And then we'll have Buddha, Buddha Dharma Sangha for a second time and then for a third time. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sama buddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama buddhasa. Buddham saranam gachami. Buddham saranam gachami. Dharmam saranam gachami. Dharmam saranam gachami. Sangam saranam gachami. Sargam saranam gachami. Dutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Dhamman Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Dharman Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi saranam sagram saranam guchami. Tatiampi buddham saranam guchami. Tatiampi buddham saranam guchami. Tatiampi dhamam saranam guchami. Tatiampi Dharman Saranam Guchami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Guchami Tatiampi Saranam 
Sagram Saranam Guchami. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. I'll ring the bell here. Thank you all. And now I'll stop sharing and I'll pass it back to Inez. So the other part that we do uh, traditionally is uh, the precepts. And um, the Buddha taught that virtue or living a life based on non-harming is the foundation of spiritual life. When we live with the intention to not cause harm, to relate towards everyone with kindness, including ourselves, it develops in us a sense of integrity, of blamelessness, gives us a sense of trust, of confidence in ourselves. When our actions of body, of speech, and of thought are based on kindness, it naturally increases our ability to be happy and at ease. At the heart of this practice is letting go of our attachments, of clinging. Anytime we intentionally cause harm, it's because we're clinging to something. A dedication to non-harming is deeply intertwined with a dedication to non-clinging. The five precepts are the guidelines for ethical behavior that the Buddha taught. They're not based on ideas of uh, good or bad, but on seeing that some actions lead to suffering and some actions lead to happiness and freedom. So we naturally want to take the actions that lead to happiness and freedom. So we traditionally connect with these dedications to non-harming by reciting the five precepts at the beginning of each of our retreats. So first I'll just say a little tiny bit about each one of them, and then we'll um, say them all together. Um, the first is <clears throat> to refrain from killing. I like to include to act with reverence for all forms of life. This actually connects me with my heartfelt wish to treat all living beings with care. The second precept is to refrain from taking that which is not given. For me, that includes appreciating what we receive it includes doing my best to protect the environment and trying to use resources well and not taking them from future generations. The third precept is to refrain from sexual misconduct. For this retreat, it means not participating in any sexual activity during the retreat. In daily life, it refers to respecting this energy and not causing, harm, not causing harm with it. The fourth is to refrain from lying and to speak truthfully. 
I like to include to speak kindly. For this retreat, it means maintaining noble silence and speaking only as needed. And as we said earlier, for some of you who live with others, this might look a bit different than in a residential retreat. And it's more important to communicate kindly than how much you speak. And the fifth is to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. And these days, I like to include the internet and or devices as common intoxicants. For those of you that might be tempted by your devices, it might be helpful if you think of them as intoxicants, that addictive quality that keeps us from having a clear mind and a peaceful heart. On retreat, these five precepts help create a safe and supportive environment for our own practice and for all of us practicing together. We ask you to verbally agree to these five precepts for the duration of the retreat. And like Diana did, I'll share a screen with you so you can read them and recite them with me in your own space as I say them out loud. Uh, We won't do call and response, so just uh, read them as I read them. And let me share screen. Try it. letting me share my screen. I'll take a moment. Folding in the technology um, challenges that might arise. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to share screen. Um, the computer, this, this is my normal computer, so it's not giving me permissions. Um, so um, I will save them. You know, um, I'll put them in chat. I don't know if, that's, if that will work for everyone. Not as neat, but does that work for you? Okay. So for the duration of this retreat, I agree to refrain from killing and to act with reverence to all forms of life. I agree to refrain from taking that which is not given. I agree to refrain from sexual activity. I agree to maintain noble silence and to only speak when needed. 
I agree to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind. <laughs> 